Good morning. Good morning. It's really amazing to be with you here this morning. And uh, I've known Rory for many, many years. It is uh, quite an opportunity to finally get to come to Prineville. And what a beautiful, beautiful day. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, if you have your Bibles with you, I'm sure you do. I'm going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 3 this morning. 2 Timothy chapter 3, and as Rory shared, Father's Day is kind of a mixed bag. You know, it's a blessing. Maybe other challenges we have. Maybe you didn't have a great relationship with your father, or maybe as a father, you're not sure if you did a great job, and many of you did a great job, but I don't know if there's very many perfect fathers. Anyone here today? Any perfect fathers here? No? Okay. So the rest of us, yes, our Heavenly Father. What I do want to speak to you about this morning is how important your church is in being the family of God and filling in where so many feel left out in our community. I remember this for me. I grew up in church. My mother took me to church. But my father stayed home and was an alcoholic. When I was a teenager, we were headed out the door. My dad would take us to church. But my dad would always stay home on Sunday mornings and watch Jerry Falwell. And that always confused me. Because my dad didn't want to go to church, but he would watch church. And one day... I think it was around 14, my mom said, you know why your dad watches Jerry Falwell? Said, I have no idea. She said, he used to be in seminary with Jerry Falwell to be a minister. Something happened in my family background. My parents were from Missouri. My dad left seminary, moved to California without my mother, started drinking, And I was the last of five children, and to this day, I don't know what ever happened in my family's background. But here's what I do know, that my mother faithfully got me in church, and whatever the Lord's plans were for my life, the Lord worked it out through other men who were in the church who were a fatherly and a godly example to me. I didn't, I didn't know until my mid-twenties that it was God's plan for me to be a pastor. It was in my early twenties, I married a young woman whose father was a pastor. And how the Lord filled in faithfully those things that were missing in my life. And we don't always see in the middle of it how God is working or the fact that God is working in spite of the circumstances that don't seem to be going in our favor. But the church is the family of God, as Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy. And I love this. I'm going to focus on 2 Timothy 3, 14 and 15, where Paul says, But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of. Knowing from whom you have learned them and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith 
which is in Christ Jesus. Now, if you know Paul and Timothy's relationship, you know that Paul met Timothy on his missionary travels, went to Timothy's hometown. There met Timothy, this young man who learned the scriptures from his mother and grandmother, not from his father. And I identified with Timothy in that way. It was my mother that got me in church. And I can still remember at seven, eight, nine years old, the sound of J. Vernon McGee's voice on the radio every day in my house. It drove me crazy, but I listen to that voice now and read J. Vernon McGee's commentaries. It was my mother. Paul led Timothy to faith in Jesus Christ was so impressed with Timothy's knowledge of the scriptures that had Timothy travel with him in his missionary journeys and really looked at Timothy as his son in the faith. And at this point of writing, they've had many years of ministry together, traveling together, but in 2 Timothy, Paul is sitting in a prison cell awaiting his likely execution. And as a father, he's worried about what's going to happen to Timothy, his son in the faith. Have you ever had a mentor that suddenly passes away? Somebody you really counted on? Maybe you didn't even talk to them all that often. I've had my father-in-law is actually 95 years old now. He was a pastor for, for 60 years. I've had other mentors, older men that I maybe lived across the country. I knew they were there if I ever just needed to talk to them. And I remember getting a call one day, especially when a man that I counted on passed away. He would come through Portland yearly and come and spend time with me and speak at my church. And I got a call that he had just passed away. An old Welsh preacher. And... I hadn't talked to him in a long time, but immediately it was a loss to me. And I think Paul's concern for young Timothy is when Paul is executed, what's Timothy going to do? Is he going to quit? Or is he going to continue? The title of my message is Continue in the Faith. You know, whether it's the loss of a father, a mentor, or even just some crisis in life, many times we just feel like quitting. And what you learn through the years is how faithful the Lord is. Amen? Amen. So in this chapter, I just want to touch on the three things that Paul tells to Timothy in this chapter as to why he needs to continue. If Paul is gone, what are the things we need to be remembering to continue through all the years of our life? Well, if you're taking notes, the first thing that I want you to remember is we continue because of the plan of God. God is working a plan for our lives. Pick up at verse 1 of 2 Timothy 3. Paul writes, but know this, you can count on this. That in the last days, perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, 
disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. That's, that last line is powerful. So many who would be you know, leaders and prominent people, they have a form of godliness, but deny its power. At verse 8, Paul writes, they are men of corrupt minds, disapproved concerning the faith, but they will progress no further. Their folly will be manifest to all as theirs also was. He's speaking about others who had resisted God. I would love to think that the, the world around us is fair. Have you gotten over those years when you, you were upset because things weren't fair? Well, things are not fair. Even corrupt people, deceitful people, it seems like they just get away with more and more. And God, why don't you stop them? Well, the longer you live, you realize that's the world. And I need to stop expecting the world to be righteous. Here's what I do know is that God sees whatever is going on. And I know that whatever his plans for me are not hindered by those people. When I was a young man in my 20s and 30s, I had to get over waiting for somebody's approval to get on with God's plans for my life. I used to think, you know, certain important people, I needed their approval before certain things could get worked out. And it's, it's amazing to see the faithfulness of the Lord that the plan of God got worked out for me in spite of uh, whether people or circumstances not quite working out in my favor. The last days are full of evil. They are full of the pretense of righteousness. John called this the spirit of Antichrist in 1 John. And pretty much you can look all around you, whether it's in religion or politics, in education. There is this high pretense of morality but an agenda that is subverting the plan of God. Do you guys see that? It's kind of everywhere around us. It's going to happen. It's going to increase. The Bible tells us in the book of Revelation that God sees it. And God is even allowing it to ripen like a vineyard. Because the day is coming in which he will, he will bring the sickle and just... Take care of those things. But you, man and woman of God, you, the children of God, be patient that God is working his plan. It is amazing to get to that place in our lives where we have a calm peace, seeing that God is working his plan. Don't be upset by those people or by those circumstances. You must continue in the faith. You must continue. 
The second rem uh, reminder of Paul to Timothy is a reminder of the faithfulness of God. The faithfulness of God. That's verses 10 through 14. Paul writes, but you have carefully followed my doctrine, my manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. Should underline that, unless you have an iPad and you don't want to use the highlighter on your iPad. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecutions. But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you, again, must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them. From his mother, his grandmother, and now from his spiritual father, the Apostle Paul. Paul is saying, look, I have taught you these things and you must, must continue. This fatherly concern for Timothy is amazing. And I have been now a pastor for 30 years. I came to Portland with my three little girls uh, in 1993. It was this summer that I moved my family to Portland from California. And my little girls were six, eight and ten. I have no sons. I have three sisters and three daughters. That's been my life. I'm a girl dad. And they've been texting me this morning. Just happy Father's Day. They are all now 35, 37, 39. I have eight and a half grandkids. Which means I have one coming in about three weeks. And um, it's been great. It's been great. But at this point in my life, what's urgent to me is to pass the baton to the next generation. To encourage the younger pastors. And, and what's interesting at this time in Calvary Chapel, we are a movement that's 55 years old, if you've been around Calvary Chapel. Started, the revival started in the late 60s. Now here, 55 years later, there is, there is a huge need to pass the baton, as we would say. To the next generation. And rather than us old guys. I'm only 65. Um, you know. I, I don't play golf. Even if I tried. I'd be a bad golfer. Um, I love traveling. And spending time with the young pastors. As Rory shared. I was just uh, in Georgia. South Carolina. And it's just amazing. But what I can tell you. <laughs> is there is a shortage of young Timothys. As many of the older pastors are preparing to retire, they're in their 70s and older, many of the Calvary pastors, they need young men who will take the baton and carry this work that we have started in Calvary Chapel. And it's urgent, I think, at this point to, to really be training and investing in Timothy's. And I love doing that. Paul reminds Timothy, look, you've seen all of my trials. He's traveled with Paul. But he reminds Timothy, look, you have also seen the Lord deliver me 
out of every difficulty that I've been in. I think one of the best teachers of the faithfulness of God is suffering. Anybody say amen? When you're young and you hit a bad trial, you think, man, there's no way I'm going to get through this. God, why did you let this happen? God, I don't see any answer. God, I'm praying and praying. And you have until Friday to bail me out of this. And Friday comes and goes. And more Fridays come and go. And frankly, the worst times that I have ever been through have been the greatest schools in which God has trained me of his faithfulness. I've learned Romans 8.28 through suffering. That God causes all things to work together for good. For those who, you remember the rest? Who love him. And who are the called according to his purpose. You know, trials and suffering really put us to the test. Do I love God or just love the blessings? And do I ultimately want his purposes for my life? It's, it's how I got to Portland. Difficulties that I went through. At a time, I was just sharing this story with Rory yesterday. At a time where it felt like I had just failed at everything. Everything went wrong. It was my job season for a couple of years. We ended up leaving California, came to Portland. And all of a sudden, the Lord laid it all out for me. Exactly his plans for me. His faithfulness over and over and over again. Especially when I felt like I didn't deserve it. I had just failed at so many things. You know, I want to say we don't want to be surprised by evil in the world. We don't want to be surprised by difficulty in our own lives. But we also don't want to be surprised by the faithfulness of God. There is no question that what we go through in this life, those difficulties do not hinder the plan of God. And we absolutely can count on the faithfulness of God to be with us and work his promises out. The third reminder, if you're taking notes this morning, verses 15 through 17, is we continue because of the power of the word of God. The word of God. Verse 15, Paul writes, from childhood, you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for faith, for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete Thoroughly equipped for every good work. The power of the word of God. This is Calvary Chapel. Amen. This is what we know. This is this is our our legacy, as you might say, at a time whenever there was uh, a move of God during that revival, those revival years. And actually, I was a teenager during the Jesus movement. Uh, Even though I grew up in a little Baptist church in the Los Angeles area, some older guys took me to a Saturday night concert at Costa Mesa 
and about 1975. And it was there that I really committed my life to serving God. I don't know that I would have continued in church if it wasn't for the move of God during the Jesus movement. It was there that I heard the power of the word of God under Pastor Chuck. When I got married in the early 80s, we moved into Orange County, attended Calvary Costa Mesa. And just the power of God's word when I was a young man to shape my life. The simple, powerful, not legalistic, not a bunch of rules as often we hear the word of God presented as as kind of a whip to beat people with. But no, instruction in righteousness. I needed that so much. Because you see, as I look back on growing up with an alcoholic father, I tell people that I was trained to be hopeless. And that sounds like a strange thing to say, except alcoholics make promises over and over again that they don't keep. Hey, this Saturday we're going to go do this. Hey, for Christmas I'm going to buy you that bike. Hey, this summer we're going to go do this. And they just can't seem to help themselves but make promises. But the thing is, they don't keep one of those promises. And you can imagine as a child, a promise getting excited, and then it doesn't come through. That literally happens over and over and over again, year after year, in such a way that you begin to stop expecting promises to be kept. I was literally trained to be hopeless. Because you see, hope is the expectation of promises kept. It is the assurance of of a good outcome in the future. Hope is not, I hope things happen. I hope things work out. But biblical hope is the assurance of a good outcome in the future. So when I came to the promises of God, even if I believed they were true, I I wasn't so sure they were true for me. And even as a young man into my 30s and 40s, you see, I was trained to not expect good things to happen to me. It's the residual of all those years as a child. And, you know, it's so easy to think, you know, I'm born again. Old things pass away. All things become new. Until you realize you still have those habits that you may have learned as a child. And so we come to Father's Day and it's like us pastors, it's how do we talk about this? Because we know that maybe us fathers, we, there's, there's, I don't know, there's very many, not very many perfect fathers. And even if you have done a good job, um, you look back and think I could have done things differently. But then how many of us have had not very good fathers and we don't want to be reminded about that? But what I do know and what I want to encourage you in is how faithful your heavenly father is. And that as you have overcome those those things, maybe in your background, you and I now become spiritual 
mothers and fathers to others in this community. We look around and there is no question that this generation is struggling. Amen. The word that comes to my mind is the word confusion. Young people are desperately looking for purpose, for identity. They don't know who they are. They don't know what gender they are. It is just complete confusion. Who am I? What am I? Is there a God? Can I do whatever I want and it doesn't matter? And I will tell you that as my mother got me in church, other men in the church showed me what a godly man looked like. And I needed to see that. And there, there are families who will come to this church and maybe children that some of you won't directly even talk to. You may not even be in children's ministry, but do you know they're watching you? They're looking at you, seeing how you relate to your wife or to your children. I remember at about nine years old, I was at church and uh, a man came to me at church and said, uh, there is a, a camp starting tomorrow, a boys camp. And if I paid for you to go, would you go to that camp? I said, yes. I can still quote scriptures I memorized at that boys camp when I was nine years old. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, you know, present your bodies as living sacrifices. I'm thankful for the faithfulness of God. As I close this morning... This generation reminds me so much of the time of the Jesus movement. Pastor Chuck used to share with us at conferences that in our country we have this pattern of revivals about every 50 years. It's been 50 years since the Jesus movement. And it, we look at culture and society and think, well, it's hopeless. It's hopeless. I don't know how we're ever going to recover from this. Things that are getting in the schools. Did you know this is exactly what they were saying in the 60s? A generation that completely rejected traditional values. A generation that was completely lost of purpose and identity. And that generation that went looking for answers in all the wrong places... By the end of the 60s, they found out there was no other answers. And it was, with, it was at that time that the Lord met them. And they began flooding, flooding into the church. That, that time that we look back on and see that revival of the Jesus movement. 50 years before the Jesus movement, there was the Azusa Street Revival in Los Angeles. 50 years before that was the series of the Great Awakenings. And all three of those amazing revivals happened during times of the breakdown of society. Social chaos, upset. And in spite of all that we're seeing around us, even in a beautiful place like this, I'm driving here from Klamath Falls yesterday 
all through the different landscape, the brown flat stuff, the burned out stuff, came over the hill and dropped into Prineville and I said, Lord, is this heaven? It's pretty nice here. But no place is untouched from this political mess, this moral mess that we are in. And yet your church is a place for people to come and see righteousness demonstrated and the love of God. Amen. 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 Well, Rory, how do you want to wrap up the service? I didn't ask you that. Want me to show my church merch or <laughs> right there? See, I don't know you, but Rory said you would like me if I wear church merch. <laughs> hey, why don't you stand with me? I want to pray for you this morning. You got a last song for us, Reverend Rogers? I want to pray for you. Let's pray for the city of Prineville. For the churches of Prineville, that they are strong. Um, those that might be struggling, let's just pray there's revival in those churches. You fathers, I want you to know how important you are to your families, you grandfathers. Just be a godly example. Uh, there's no time to be just feeling bad about mistakes you've made. Let's just be humble and trust the Lord and move ahead. Lord, thank you so much for your faithfulness in our lives and all of us, all of us. We just pray, Lord, you would renew our faith in you. You would plant your seed, your word in our hearts, that that seed that grows and grows and grows. Lord, may this church be a a shining light to this community and inspiration to every family to the other churches and Lord your plans would be worked out we pray for revival we're not here to escape and hide out but to be a, a, a light to this community Lord strengthen us in your name we pray Amen Lord I just pray for those that uh just needed that encouragement today to continue. Continue on in the things that you have learned and been assured of. Lord, we just thank you, Lord, for your plan and your promise, for your faithfulness, Lord. What a word that we might be surprised of all the crazy things that are happening around us. In our home, on our body, at school, at work, in the community, in the nation, around the globe. But may we never be surprised at the faithfulness of God. You are so faithful, Lord. Let that be the theme of our week. Just rejoicing in the faithfulness of God. For those that come out of broken homes and broken families and bruised and crushed lives, Lord, that there's a word from the Lord that says a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoking flax he will not quench. Just encouragement for you today that he got you here, 
to encourage you. You might be a, a reed that's kind of bent in half and kind of leaning over. The wind pushed you over and broke you over too far, but he's not going to snap you off. You might just be a candle that's, there's just a barely a spark left and it's really just smoking and just today the Lord wants to fan the flame in your heart and bring encouragement to you. Bring that encouragement today, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.